You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Why, well, it's good to be with you again this Sunday morning and... Uh... Had a good ride up from Kalispell, very little snow, just uh, managed to not get the cops to stop me, and it was a wonderful trip. And good to have my wife with me here today. Uh, she's had a bad knee, and uh, we're grateful for her presence. Today is uh, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, uh, Remembrance Day, uh, Armistice Day. I mean, all kinds of names around the world. As most of you know, I'm a Canadian. And uh, one of the things that's very interesting in Canada, every man, if you would watch news, if you'd walk downtown Calgary, if you'd go anywhere from about uh, Thanksgiving Day in the States, uh, which is uh, up to come, Thanksgiving Day in Canada is in October. And what happens is, as they come from Thanksgiving on right through to November 11th, everybody wears a red poppy. They're just available everywhere. Just uh, We have pictures of our son, uh, who's a firefighter in Calgary, and his group are all dressed in their dress blues, uh, ready for a parade, and of course, all of them have a poppy on. It's a time to remember. I, as a kid, I uh, had the privilege as a young boy to uh, be at the Cenotaph in our town in Eastern Canada in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, and I was asked to quote, I was only about uh, 10 or 11 years old, in front of the whole city who had gathered together to remember those who had given their lives in service, uh, the veterans who uh, make all the difference in uh, the world as we recognize our freedoms. I had the chance uh, to quote a poem, which I want to lead into our message thought today. It was written in the First World War, actually in 1918, at the close of the war. It was written by a Canadian by the name of John McCrae. If you know anything about the First World War, uh, many Canadians died on those fields. And there, if you go to all of those battlefields, you'll see all kinds of uh, um, crosses and burial spots. And one of the famous ones is in Flanders Field in the Fleming area, Flemish area of France. And the poem goes this way. In Flanders Field, the poppies grow between the crosses row on row that mark our place. And in the sky, the brave birds fly, and all they see are the dead ones below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunsets glow, loved and were loved. But now we lie in Flanders Field. Take up our quarry with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders Field. Take up the quarry with the foe. Let that torch of freedom and life and eternity and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's our responsibility. And I think those who've gone before have every right to say, if you break faith, Alan, put your name in there. With those of us who have served and are now gone, we will not sleep till poppies glow in Flanders Field. Now, we'll see if we can get this clicker to work here. I've had more trouble with this thing than anything I work with, so I hope I'm doing something right here. Ah, look at that. Oh, look at that. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. See, what our problem is, is we look at the Bible. You know, get your, you want to get the book of Acts out, first chapter, that would be good. Because one of the greatest miracles of our time, I believe, is the continued presence of the church. God's church, Christ's church, the one he founded. He said, I'll build my church. And as amazing as we think of it, it was a handful of really uneducated, unlettered people, peasants of the time, 
no formal education. They launched a movement back then that changed the world, at least upset it at least. Humanly speaking, it was impossible. But it happened. Because what this book and this story is about in the Bible is the acts of the Holy Spirit. They, they mark it in your Bibles as the acts of the apostles. They were nothing without the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think of that today. How amazing if the early church had no billion dollar budget. They didn't have any skilled public relations people. They know things that we carry around in our pockets these days, like cell phones and mass media. All they did was promote the cause by preaching the word. And the organization of that early church was disarmingly simple. How did they do their job then? I believe that we'll show the story, if you book of the, read the book of Acts, of how they just shared the joy, talked about their faith. They talked about what they believed. They witnessed because they wanted other people to know that Jesus is real. An old preacher from Time Gone Pie, Dwight L. Moody, said this, and here we get to the apostolic spirit and methods, the more power we will have. That's why we have the Word of God. That's why He indwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that we want to today find a way to really get our lives in tune and have the same power that motivated and directed and enabled them the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Our text has so many truths to help us today because we don't live back then. What about now? That's where I am in terms of preaching the gospel. Remember last week, we, or last time I was here, we stood and read the word of God. I want you to do the same today. Let's all stand. I've got this passage of scripture on the screen for you, and I hope that it'll make a blessing in your life. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. May God bless this wonderful moment of reading together God's word. It's like God is talking to us, instructing us, blessing us through his holy word. Be seated, please. What, uh, what a moment we have as we share this text together and as we bring this to the then and now moment. The things that worked back then, can they work now? 
That's the point of today's message. Applied today, application in our life, the things that would make a difference, that would say this is so. The first thing I believe is we need to take a look again at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, interesting word, Theophilus, everybody's got a different idea what that stood for. If you just want to take the word apart in the Greek language, theos is the word for God. Phyllis is the idea of loving, the Philadelphia, like the love, that's a kind of love. Lovers of God, that would be a good way to look at that word. We're lovers of God. Oh, Theophilus, I write about that, what Jesus began to do. Did you get that word? Began to do. In other words, he didn't finish. It's not over. It's, it's going on right now, the things that the Lord wants to have happen in our life. Luke, who wrote the third gospel, also wrote this book, the book of Acts. If you were to go to read the first verses of Gospel of Luke, the record says, all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's in this passage. Oh, that was what he did back then. He just began to do it. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, it's a very interesting thing. The phrase, it is finished, isn't in there. You go look for it. The idea being, this thing has got to continue. This thing isn't to stop. It is finished. It's not the end of the story of the life of Jesus. Mark, the gospel writer, he calls his record the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just the beginning. Guess what? He's expecting us to continue it. Because it's an incomplete record. See, the Bible is described as a book telling us what Jesus began to do. This book continues to tell the story of what happened in those first early years of the church. I grew up in a Canadian school system. <laughs> so we learned a lot about British things, especially by a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. You ever heard of that fellow? By the way, one of the great movies of recent years is The Darkest Hour. And here's one of the great quotes of uh, he, he warned against the easy optimism during the period of the Second World War. And this is what he said. This is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end. It may be just the end of the beginning. Hey, I like that. That sure fits with this text. This is only what Jesus began to do. This is not the end. When he ascended to heaven, that's not the end. He's coming again. And in between, and for the application for us today, we need to understand how important that truth of the gospel is. Think about Jesus dying on the cross. First of all, what would have happened if he had not been crucified? You ever thought about that? Our sins would never be. The blood of Jesus Christ couldn't cleanse us from sin. Or, or think about this. What if he had not risen from the dead? What if he had, his work had been limited to one single spot of the globe? What if it had only happened there in what they called Palestine? Oh, some of them would have heard his teaching and his preaching and his healing. But when his 33 years were over here on earth and he ascends to heaven... Many people would say, well, I guess his ministry's over. Well, what? That's, that would be terrible. But you see, what would mean, that would be an incomplete record. Because he didn't just die and rise again. He lives at the right hand of God. He hears our prayers. He sees our lives. Jesus has been working since that time in our world, because it's just begun. That time of going ascending to heaven was just the end of the beginning. The start of it all. I believe he's at work today. I believe he's present in this service of worship to him. I, I believe he's everywhere. His Holy Spirit has given us the wisdom and power to do his work. So, in fact, the record continues. Want to read the first uh, 28 chapters of the book of Acts? Well, I want to tell you, this portion in Acts records the very first Christians 
Are they the only ones? Of course not. This was just the beginning. And they launched out with a challenging assignment in evangelizing of the hostile world of the day. Jesus, through people, worked simultaneously in thousands of places. And as believers, are we doing his will? In fact, I'm convinced that the last chapter of the Bible hasn't been written yet. We're writing chapter 2018, if we're serious about our faith. In the current writing, we're part of his story. Because, so far, it's an incomplete record. Let me think of another one. He now gives us an infallible proof. Look at the second verse. Until the day he was taken up to heaven and giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He spoke about the kingdom of God. Because without the resurrection, there would be no book of Acts. There'd be nothing to write. There'd be no story of the early church. Only the power of the age of hell. Well, he rose and that was it. No. Wait in Jerusalem. We read that a little earlier. He wants our people, he wants you and me to preach and teach and work the miracles of God. The story of the resurrection is just one of the great grand moments. The story of your salvation is just as good. Well, you see, they'd seen him crucified and buried. And for a while there, in their mind, it was over. Like war. Hey, my buddy died. Shot to death by the enemy. Many of us in this world today, and as Christians, we feel many times we're being shot at by the enemy. The kinds of things that go on in our culture. I, I saw pictures over and over in my mind, even as a young boy, as I read the book about the Bible. It just seemed to me those disciples after the, the crucifixion and put them in the tomb, they were frustrated. They were lonely. They were scared to death because they thought it was over. It wasn't just the beginning, but then it came through two words. He's alive! <laughs> Man. The road to Emmaus and him, he goes and walks with a couple of people on the road and stays in their home and then has a meal together. And they suddenly recognized him. Did not our hearts burn within us when we talked with him on the way? Because of the resurrection, because of Jesus being alive, still alive today, eternally alive. Suddenly, these disciples then became filled with excitement and joy and were willing to go and do whatever. And even though many of them suffered terrible deaths because of their faith, they rejoiced in the privilege of serving the living Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the early Christian was not some kind of doctrinal statement. Not some position that you hold. You know, like you say, well, I hope it's true. Or it could be true. Jesus had answered any doubts that they had when he presented himself alive to them. In verse 3, they were convinced beyond a shadow of the doubt, any shadow of the doubt, he's alive. He's alive. And they knew firsthand why his grave was empty. They were eyewitnesses of the best attested fact in ancient history. There's not an, a religion in the world that can stand to what Jesus did. Rise from the dead. Wow. One of my greatest favorite songs is by, was sung by uh, uh, this young lady. We went to the saddle home to hear her. Uh, What's her name, Judy? That, 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 she had a painted horse and all that. Dolly. Of course. Dolly, you know Dolly? You ever heard her? We got sleeps right up close to the front because I wanted to be real close to, as she sang songs. She sang songs like uh, 9 to 5 and 
the, you know, the coat of many colors my mama made for me and all that. And you know what? We came to that thing, paid big money to go to that thing. Went, took along a lady who was just really into country music. Dolly Parton didn't sing the song. I was some ticked. I was wanting to get my money back. Judy's clapping away, just so excited, you know, about the end of the concert is coming, every, everybody, and I'm going. She said, what's wrong with you? She said, she didn't sing my song. I paid big money. I went through this thing with my wife. I'm so dumb. She was saving it for the encore. It's a song about Jesus. Guess what she said? This song has been very good to me. She says, not because of I, I sing it or whatever, because it's got a message. It's something really much different than every, any other song I sang for you tonight. Something very real about this. It's a song about Jesus. This is at the Calgary Stampede. And he's alive. And if Judy will testify, I immediately said, yes, he's alive. The guy behind me says, sit down. You know, I, I, but I want you to know, whoa, he's going to sing this song. And I want to tell you, I will never forget that moment. She, she started to sing the song, and all of a sudden, look, there's choirs coming out of the stands. Then we're all set up, and they come, and they join Dolly on the stage. And everybody's saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. Man, you could hear that out in the midway later. People going, he's alive, he's alive. Come on, folks, we got to get feel. That's the way they were back then. How about now? See, are we writing more to the message? Are we, are we confident in the infallible proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? But there's more. We need to have some indispensable equipment. Indispensable means, hey, you better have it or you're in bad trouble. Indispensable equipment. Look at verses 4 and 5. On one occasion while he was eating, he said, don't leave Jerusalem. But wait, oh, hate that word, wait. None of us are good at waiting. Christmas is coming. I, I tell you, the day before Christmas was the longest day in the world when I was a kid. My goodness, wait, he says, wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This indispensable equipment Jerusalem was a place where they were told to tarry, to wait, because you're not ready yet, guys. You don't have what you need. You don't have the indispensable, invincible equipment of God. You may have had three years of walking around Nazareth and uh, down in Galilee and all of those little places and hearing all those parables and those teachings of Jesus. You, you, you've heard a lot of from him, but I want to tell you, you're not ready yet. You need to be infused with power from the Holy Spirit of God. There is power. Great word, great word. Wait. Boy, it's not easy to wait. We're singing a world that's been created as a traffic light. Get behind somebody, and then that light turns green, and they don't move. Oh! Man, it's tough. I'm going to get going. And here they want to get going. He's alive. And he says, wait. Slow down. Wait on the Lord. We need to learn that. Wait for what the Father has promised, he says. It was imperative for them to stay in Jerusalem till Acts 2 happened. When they received the Spirit of God. See, our problem is we try to do God's work in our own strength. And a guy by the name of Zechariah in Zechariah 4.6 said, look, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. 
says the Lord. I want everybody in this room to hear this. It won't be talent. It won't be drive. It won't be education. It won't be degrees. It won't be money. And you can go on with the list. That's not what gets God's work done. No, a submission of your mind and heart to the Holy Spirit of God. When I was growing up as a kid, even in Bible college, I didn't get much help on this. But I want to tell you, without the Holy Spirit of God, if every believer who trusts in Jesus Christ wants to obey his word, let me tell you, then you've got to let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Because that's the indispensable equipment that you need in your walk day by day. In fact, Romans 8 verse 9 is a killer. You know what it says? If we don't have the Spirit, we're none of His. I don't know what you think of that verse. All that comes to my mind is, ay, 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 ay. That's a, that is a troublesome thing if you think you can get along and not listen to the Holy Spirit of God leading in your life. How thrilling to be able to show to the world today that the indispensable equipment can be applied and is available to every believer. Because as the said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And when he said, added this phrase, and you too shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, not for you, and it'll be just for you, it'll be for your children, and your children's children, and as far off as many as God will call. Thinking of the word wait or tarry, we need to wait. Why? Because we need training. A lot of people go out and, and, and fail because they didn't know what to do. Maybe it's we don't witness or share because we haven't studied his word enough. Maybe we haven't been taught how to share our personal testimony. Maybe we need to have a class on personal evangelism. Talk about how to do this, how to talk to people. I think sometimes we need to, mate, need to wait simply because we need some maturity. We need to grow up a little bit. Remember he talked, Paul wrote a letter to a guy named Timothy, a young man who wanted to serve the Lord. And he made a statement about you shouldn't, you shouldn't ordain an immature Christian, a babe in the faith. We need times to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you the simple reason is, third one, maybe it's not God's time. It's interesting how God works. Uh, we offer our prayers, and we need to understand maybe what I'm asking. Uh, I mean, his mother faced this. Remember in the wedding feast of Galilee? She says to him, you know, tell him what to do. Go to fix the problem we got here with this miracle. And Jesus said to his mother with a little tone to his voice, Mom, my time has not yet come. If Jesus had to wait... Why do you think we can just barge ahead with no sense at all? Jesus waited, what, 30 years before it was God's time to begin his ministry. I think we just like to barge ahead and don't stop to think about God's timing. What's the right thing? When's the right time? How do we do this? Oh, don't drag your feet. I mean, if you see very clearly this is something God wants you to do, do it. But there are times when you're not so sure and you jump in and start sinking. When I was a preacher in Florence, Oregon years ago, we were on Highway 101 on the Oregon coast, a little town of Florence, Oregon. And uh, we had a great youth group. Over half the high school attended our youth programs. We had a wonderful couple in our church. Uh, who really had a heart for young people. And we trained them how to go and share the gospel to the hippies. <laughs> the hippies, I mean, we, that's all we had there, well, hippies. That's the 60s, folks. Hippies, yippies, dippies, snippies, whatever you want to call them, okay? And they would come through. Praise God, we had a ministry to them. And I remember the first time we trained them up how to share the gospel. We made up a little track that they could pass out to the hippies. 
They were on the beach, you know, going up and down. They were eating some of their fish food that they were boiling on the, in the pile. Oh, yeah. They came back with a tail between their legs. Because even though we tried to train them, they didn't listen. And they got serious now. If we're going to touch those hippies, we're going to have to get serious about listening to what God says. And let me tell you, it changed our youth group. It changed them because they suddenly realized we can't do it ourselves. I had so many wonderful times in that young time of ministry. I did crazy things. Like uh, at the outdoor theater Sunday morning, we had a service all summer long, early Sunday morning at the drive-in theater. And, we, it was, and they got the, you know, those the days when it wasn't done with the, the wireless. Well, you had to have the thing, uh, the post, you know, and you stick it in your, how many remember that? Okay, yeah, and you have to turn the thing up or down, and my microphone went to all, they'd drive in. And if they were to say, they, they would beep the horn if they wanted to say an amen. It was really good. Now and again, I got a beep, you know, that was good. And if they wanted communion, which we served at that service, they turned on their headlights. Our people would go around and, and these guys would come with their campers and their trucks and what have you to hear the gospel. And everybody thought I was crazy. You know, the kind, the kind of, I started having Bible studies with hippie communes. I'll never forget the day the guy said, I want to be baptized. So we just went across the highway down into the Pacific Ocean. By the way, it's the easiest place in the world to baptize. It's cold, but you don't do much. It's simply a matter of timing. The wave comes in and baptizes you. It's just a neat deal. You hardly have to lay them down. I mean, bro! So you say, in the name of the Father's Father, and there it comes, okay? <laughs> Guess what? We're walking back across the highway. And his girlfriend says, when can I be baptized? And just before that, he had said, by the way, Mr. Dunbar, Alan, they called me. Alan, we're not going to have sex anymore till we're married. Where did you hear that? I never told you that. I'm thinking to myself. No, we just think God wants us to live a different life. You know when I met him a few years ago again? Treasurer of one of our churches in Milwaukee, Oregon. He was serious about his faith. And sometimes I think we get so locked in and we do church here instead of seeing the open opportunities of ministry that God gives us. Like you kids on the ranch. We're out and about and sharing. You know, you can be quite a witness to this town when you're in shopping at the hardware store and eating at the restaurant and having those kind of moments of touching people who need to know the truth. My friend is, let's... Uh, it got a little line here that I picked up somewhere. Don't drag your feet when God says go, and don't rush ahead when he says no. Think about that. One last thing. He's got an infinite plan. An infinite plan. In the last conversation with the apostles, the they, they seem to be more interested in prophecy than the task at hand. They want to know when, you know, this is all going to happen. He, he doesn't rebuke them, but seems to be warning them, don't get so preoccupied with that stuff. By the way, there are a lot of people obsessed with this subject. Judy and I just last night watched a video of a guy who is so obsessed about the Antichrist that he has no time for people, for the true meaning of good news. Sure, we ought to be knowledgeable about the second coming, but only that it will drive us and give us the direction we need and the challenge to witness in our daily life. And we spend so much time analyzing and trying to discern prophetic things that we fail to realize that God right now is with us. He wants something to happen, not just back then, but now. The Bible describes it as a very present help 
in times of trouble. And man, are we in trouble. These verses also lay out God's time. Verses 6 to 8, he gathered and said, look, it's not for you to know in 7th verse. But, there's my favorite Bible word, by the way. He goes along talking about it like this, and it's kind of bad, and it's down. And then he says, but, I really get excited about what's coming next. But, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. You you might be. He didn't say that. You will be my witnesses. And, And then he says, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Start in Jerusalem. And if you know anything about the Bible geography of the time, you got uh, up north, uh, Galilee, and down south, you got Judah, Judea, we call it today, but in the middle was Samaria. Well, you see, you know where you are. Right now, you're in Jerusalem. And by the way, if you're ever on a little trip around Judea, why don't you do a little witnessing there? And once you're doing that, if you ever go up even into Samaria, pretty tough. Do it there. Because I want the gospel to go everywhere. You're to witness about this. And if you read the book of Acts, that's what you've got. These various segments. First of all, it was Jerusalem. Then it was to Judea and Samaria, chapter 8 through chapter 12. Then it was to the uttermost parts. That's Asia Minor. Then it's on to Greece. And then it's to Rome. And then it's to... Oh, well, everywhere, northern Europe, to the continents, across the oceans, to the islands of the sea, and eventually to St. Ignatius. You talk about the uttermost. (laughs) Kalispell, uttermost. How did it get here? Because somebody was faithful to bring the gospel message. Be understood, he had a plan. Not my plan, his plan. Infinite. And that made all the difference. All the difference. Your job and mine is to start in your Jerusalem. Maybe it's at the home you're in over at the ranch. That's your Jerusalem. Or your home, friends who are here. You don't live out there on the, on the ranch. You live in your house. You got a family there. You got neighbors right next door. Maybe they're the Judea of the time. Maybe you need to understand there are people that I work with. They're like the Samaritans. I don't have any dealing with those people. Why not? The infant plan is hey, you touch all these things, you touch wherever. And wherever you go, and whatever you do. Give him the glory and give him the, t- the word of life. Because you see, it isn't just back then. It's now. Now is the acceptable time. The record isn't finished. Our message is not some figment of our imagination. We have been given some infallible proofs that you just can't get anywhere else. We're not to even try to accomplish things in our own strength. We have that indispensable, equipping power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he even gives us a plan. Let me close. Acts 1, 8 through 11 talks about three things. First, witnessing with power. Things are going to happen. Things are going to happen as we do this. He was taken up. And we're supposed to be preaching the gospel. And I I don't think you'd do it like uh, hesitantly or just be, just spit it out there. Witness. Share your life. You're with a group of people who are doing wrong things. Tell them, hey, don't just walk away. Tell them, hey, I'm not doing this because this is wrong. 
Be bold enough to give your witness, your, your stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're, what, 82, I heard a lady tell me today, or whether you're nine years old. Stand up for what you stand for. And give witness, because you'll have the power to do that with the Holy Spirit in your life. Secondly, he tells us, we walk by faith. We walk by faith. I, I, I don't want to go into all the depths of this, but for me to come, my wife's an American. So she, she's the one who grabbed across the border and drug me across. So you know what I mean? No, she, I met Judy. My dad was a preacher in her church. I went down to be the youth minister in the summers while I worked. Well, I was going to Bible college up in Calgary. I met this wonderful gal. She's the joy of my life. We got married in 1960. <laughs> Again, that's, you remember how old you guys were then, okay? And I want you to know, we, we had this, this idea that everything we've done, we've had to do it by faith. We left Florence, Oregon to go to Calgary. We took a $12,000 cut in salary, believing God would just look after us. And he did. The church grew and multiplied. Oh, it was wonderful. We had a te nationwide television ministry. God opened doors, and I just, if you walk by faith, you just, I'm telling you. Probably the, the thing that scared us the most, I was president of Puget Sound Christian College in the Seattle area. And I, the reason I was down there is because they were in real trouble. And I, I, the only way I could get there was by getting there quickly. They told me at the consulate, the U.S. consulate in Calgary, that it might be 18 months to two years before I could legally go in. They were amazing, you know. But and to be honest with you, my view was, I can stay in Calgary. Except I've always been committed to this idea, I need to walk by faith. And this guy walks out of this office building, the office room, just where she, I'm talking to her. His office is over here. He's got buttons all over his, I mean, name things and everything. And he's the consul general, the biggie in there. And he says, direct quote, Brother Dunbar. Now, when you hear that downtown Calgary, you assume right off, that's a fellow Christian says, yeah, we watch your television program every Sunday before we go to church. And I want you to know, I overheard your conversation. And you believe God is calling you to go and help a college in Seattle? I can get you in there tomorrow. That's what happens when you walk by faith. And God put the whole thing in programs. We came, we had, what, eight years of wonderful service at that college? grew to its largest student body and new campus and all the kind of good things that happened. But there came a day when I was going to change jobs and I didn't even think about this. I was there because in NAFTA I would be an educator. <laughs> so we went up to, every year we had to go up across the border, make a U-turn, come back through and reinstate our NAFTA permit. And it cost $56 a year, not bad. And met a guy, looked at that thing, he says, I hate these, and he swore, I'm going to find a way to deny you. Which meant no job, no house, no money. In fact, right then, we can't even get back into the States legally. Still had my NAFTA thing, so I did still had it. We still had about two weeks, was it, Judy, maybe, or something like that. Walk by faith, and it was, it, I'll tell you, I, there were times in that, those days that came after that. God, what do you, what do you got us into here? Uh, in fact, when I first went back in the States, we got in going out, another border crossing. I was an illegal. And that doesn't feel good. Every car, you know, here comes, there's a police car. Ooh, you know, got hold of the lawyer for the college, and he uh, said, I said, way over my head. Praise God, he had friends. The top lawyer in Seattle looked after me. Worked with Microsoft and Weyerhaeuser, Boeing. 
and Amazon bringing people from outside into the country, an immigration lawyer. By the way, he is misnamed. His name was Robert Free. It wasn't free. But let me, we began to see God's hand. Judy would tell you she was so upset that she really doubted God could fix this one. Am I saying that fair, Judy, for a little while, right? But it all, it just went like clockwork. I mean, it, it broke all the rules. I mean, it had all the stuff ready for him in two days. So it usually takes people months. We got all the things. We put things together. Went to IRS. Did all the kinds of things necessary. Went to Montana to speak at uh, Little Rockies Christian Camp. Came back. Got fingerprinted way months earlier than I was supposed to. And got our thing finally in a, I think, stamped. You know what? It was on, the I think, a Tuesday or something, just a few days before 9-11. And if it had happened after 9-11, I wouldn't be living in the United States. Because you walk by faith, God will put things together. Always has and always will. Some of the things that are my cock and bull ideas that I shouldn't even been thinking about anyway, he wouldn't let happen. Praise God. But because of walking by faith, we had opportunities in ministry and in life. In Calgary, Alberta, I was ahead of the spirit route. I actually put it all together for the Winter Olympics in Calgary. We had 6,000 Christian workers who gathered together. I want to tell you one story. You talk about walking by faith. Things over. I, were, I didn't do anything at church over those 16 days. I was out at Canada Olympic Park. And I befriended lots of people. For instance, some of you may know Cool Running, the Jamaican Bobstead team, personal friends of mine. Okay. And the Russians, oh, Olga. That was her name, honestly. And we had a number. We gave out, we had that privilege because of our outreach. We had the privilege of giving away Bibles. We had things, little people. You could sit in the Olympic Stadium for that. And Christian workers there had. Scripture verses, seven scripture verses in the languages, and they would be sitting next to somebody from the Ukraine. They'd look through their little folder and were able to share seven verses about salvation next door with somebody they couldn't even speak their language. What? How did that happen? Because I walked by faith. I got into things I probably shouldn't, would never have thought of doing. But they were coming to Calgary, all these people. We don't have to send missionaries over there. They're coming here. And the minister association got behind it. And everything happened. Come to the end, we had a bunch of roughs and Bibles left over. I was bold enough to just, I walked by faith. I saw sitting with a Russian bobsled team. And I said, I've been to Belarusia. And I, is there any chance you could take a couple of cases of Bibles? I'll have a missionary come and pick them up in Moscow. And she says, well, yeah, sure. I said, spasibo. I thank you. I had a letter written. Got it into a Russian language from a guy from Three Hills Bible College. Put them in everything. We had 144 Bibles in each case. That's 288 Bibles. We simply said in that, if you, have, if you receive the Bible, let us know. And put our address, our church address on it. I, in the world that I live in, you talk about all these things you get in the mail. They're lucky if you get 0.009% of those back as an answer. We got 62 letters from people in Russia who got Bibles from the communist government in 1988 taking Bibles into Russia. And they wrote back and said, thank you. We have now a copy of the Word of God. That's walking by faith, gang. Do you understand that? And is your life every day, right here in St. Ignatius or, or wherever you happen to live in the days ahead, it's not over. It's only begun. One last one. You have to wait. It doesn't all fall into place. Like sometimes when I tell stories, it sounds like it's that easy. But you wait in hope. That's verses 10 and 11. He's coming again. He's coming to see what we're doing. He did some fantastic things back then. 
But I think he's saying to us today, what about now? Let's pray. Father God, this is such a simple, direct, important chapter. A section of scripture that says, we're not done. The moment then. Oh, it's great to read the stories. It's great to see what happened in the early church, and we praise God for that. But what now? What should I do this afternoon? This tomorrow? How much trust do I have? Am I willing to follow your plan? Do I sense the Holy Spirit guiding in my life? Because you see, it's only just begun till Jesus comes. Maybe we need to make some fresh commitments in our life today, God. But who we are and who you are, that's, that's, that's heavy. There's a little song we're going to sing that says, God, would you create in me a clean heart? I think that would mean doing some of these things, recognizing, hey, the job isn't finished. Lay that burden on my heart, God. Help me to understand I can't do it without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I, I, I need the right equipment. I need the right words and knowledge. And I need to study the word more. I need to live like you want me to live. I want to thank you, God, for your willingness to trust each one of us with this unbelievable salvation message. We don't want to let you down. It's personal. It really is. Where do I stand, God, with you today? When I leave this church service, what, what is next? May God bless us. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us. And may the Holy Spirit empower us to do the now. And not just read about that.